Now listening to Lost Cast, the Lost Decade Games podcast. Welcome to Lost Cast, episode 149. I'm Matt Hackett. I'm Jeff Blair. We are going to talk about a question we got from our smart, attractive community on the forum. This is the first one in like months. <laughs> There's Matt. been this uh, thread that's like kind of like a ghost town. <laughs> so it's nice to see uh, someone with a question that we can cover. It's always nice, uh, especially on when we get those questions on Monday evening. It is. Yes. <laughs> and there's been lots of like really nice comments via email and Twitter and stuff. And uh, also on Monday. So that was really great to see. It's like, hey, guys, I love your podcast. And it's like, awesome. It's Monday. I'm going to take that into the next day because, you know, it only lasts so long. <laughs> Somebody's like, I like your podcast. And, like three days later, like, oh, our podcast sucks. I'm sad again. Let's <laughs> <laughs> do a sad cast. Welcome to. Okay. <laughs> Matt's like a Care Bear or something. He's like fueled by love. A Care Bear. Oh, is there, was there a Care Bear? I don't know, man. I'm sure there was. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things I, I was aware of in the 80s, but I didn't like have a Care Bear of my own. I'm pretty sure like, you know, I saw a little bit of the show just because you're a kid in the 80s watching Saturday morning cartoons, you know, but I don't yeah, really know much about it. I think I got the same thing. I don't really remember anything specifically other than like they were cuddly and lovable or something. And they cared. They cared. Exactly. There you go. See? It's I like... Think you see other stuff from the 80s is coming back strong. Like, there's bronies now, people who are really into uh, My Little Pony. Bros who like ponies. We right? should do that for Care Bears. So Brers. what would that be called? Bronies. Bro- <laughs> Bro- Bronies. Yeah, that's not working. Okay, anyways, let's move on. <laughs> so, the question. You ready for the question? I'm ready. I love let's a good see question. if you can phrase it in the correct grammar uh, this time. Okay, fine, I will. What if a wizard's lizard were 3D? Are you what happy with that? I am. It's correct grammar and everything. Hey, this actually isn't my fault. It's <laughs> Melissa's fault. She gets on my case about it, so then I get on your case about it. It's kind of like, you know, uh, a parent that beats their child, and then their child wow. ends up beating their child. And uh, <laughs> rolls downhill, right? Rolls downhill, yes. <laughs> Not that I'm advocating you know, parental abuse or anything. Right. Sure. Kind of a bad analogy. You are but. just a walking downer. You know that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're also going to do, uh, after the question, we're going to talk about some design stuff. Game design. Yes. We have some Ooh, hard game design problems to solve, and we have an interesting new death mechanic to discuss as well. It's simultaneously the most fun and part of the job that we're the worst at. Oh, doesn't that hurt? Doesn't it? Don't you get the feels? Actually, I found that interesting. I've talked before on uh, the podcast about how, like, you know, uh, I feel like a big phony is an artist a lot of times. Yeah. And we've, we both kind of feel that way in various disciplines, like if we're being honest with ourselves, like regarding business, like we're terrible business people, right? And we're also really bad game designers. <laughs> but like, there's a difference because like, I've never let that stuff bother me. Like, I don't care that I have very little experience with game design. I never cared. I always wanted to do it regardless. I, like, and and let, I was never intimidated either, you know? You don't let the fact that you're terrible at things stand in the way of doing them? Some things, right? <laughs> Some yes. things, but other things I'm like, oh, I I'm see. terrible. I'm not even going to try. Yeah, like art's intimidating because it's I don't, like, why? Why? Right? But yes. like game design, I'm like, I don't care. Here, I got a game right here. It's, it's terrible. Play it for hundreds of hours. <laughs> and businesses, like, oh, yeah, we're going to start a business. We're just going to do it. It's like, do you have an MBA? Do you know any business pe- do you type have a friends? Business plan? Yeah, do you have anything at all? And we're like, no, we don't care. We'll figure it out. We're just going to do it. Yeah. So, anyway, question. <laughs> So, uh, what if a wizard lizard were 3D, Mr. Blair? What would what would be different? So, just to uh, kind of set the stage for this, I kind of had this like picture in my mind of you and I in like maybe a like mid '90s setting, maybe like Saved by the Bell. You and kind me, kind of. You and me, yeah. I have to. I have to. You're gonna correct me. That's I gotta true. correct you back. You do. You do. <laughs> eye for an eye. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Uh, we're like in you know mid '90s high school classroom and it's like I'm what there. if a wizard's lizard were 3d d d d, d. <laughs> it zooms back Woo! <laughs> right or the other thing I, I had an image of was the um that episode in futurama where they're like the what if machine oh i love the what if machine with the thing longer i <laughs> that's so stupid yeah apologies for people that haven't seen spoilers episode. it's a finger longer or whatever yes no uh that's good stuff you should go check that out if you haven't seen it. it's on netflix you gotta watch all of futurama yeah i just actually did that it was really good awesome 
Anyways, uh, what if Wizards Lizard were 3D? So the question was, um, how would the code change? How would the architecture perhaps change? And yeah. uh, what would the art pipeline look like? Like the workflow, that would be quite different. It would. I think that's a really interesting question. And, uh, you know, it's it can be a little bit of tiger hattery because, you know, obviously neither of us have actually made a 3D game. I've made 3D prototypes... There was a game I made where you could walk around on some cubes in WebGL. Nice. <laughs> Ship <good>. it. <laughs> yeah, basically we we have never shipped a 3D game. We've never even really built like a, you know, fully playable 3D game. So uh we have this uh Minecraft looking tiger hat we're putting on our heads right now. It's very <laughs> it's very 3D. Uh I was gonna ask you though, when you made that 3D prototype, did you actually walk on the blocks or did you just move the camera around on top of the blocks? Probably the latter, I would guess yeah most likely right i mean physics is easy to shove into any kind of game basically but i think that this one was a webgl or maybe it was three js either way it was uh very rudimentary so i I don't think that there was like gravity i think i cheated i'm a cheater probably yeah so let's see i guess the first thing would be how would the basic underlying engine change if it were 3d yeah and i think it kind of depends on two things right there's do you want it to be an actual 3d game world right or do you want to have it be like a two-dimensional world still from a model simulation perspective but you're just kind of viewing it and you're displaying the assets and the characters in three dimensions that's how here's the storm feels to me like it yeah, could totally just be a 2d game it, it, it basically is right like yeah. if you think about it there's a little bit of jumping that happens, you know, like there are a few moves where a character will jump from one position to another, kind of like yeah. a leaping ability or something. Um, Even that could be faked, though. Exactly, yeah. Like, like It's kind of like the way we do that kind of stuff in 2D now is, you know, yeah. basically you have like an animation of it jumping, but really all it does is kind of just move along the 2D axis to where it needs to be. Right. And maybe you kind of like offset the sprite or something to make it look like it's in the air. But... um. But yeah, I think it's a that's two totally different routes. <clears throat> yeah. I think for us and in this game in particular, the next logical step would be something more akin to a 2D game simulation that is then viewed in 3D. So really it would just be the rendering area. Right. Like the model and the sim that, that all stuff can still just be 2D. We won't have to worry about like the 3D collision. Basically that would be taking a lot of the complexity off of our plate, right? Like right. we're still doing some of this stuff the same way we would, but uh, you know, it's rendered differently. Exactly. Yeah. And so from the perspective of the game, you know, the simulation probably wouldn't change at all. I mean, I bet it would be obviously not trivial, but you know, you could swap out the, front-end rendering of a wizard's lizard with some kind of three-dimensional rendering you know there was a version of onslaught actually that we took and uh we did a ray casting engine and you know people probably seen onslaught by now certainly if you listen to the podcast and it's really just this 2d overhead game right and it basically made it play like doom you know where you're walking around in this little flat plane and you got these little billboard monsters that run up to you and smack you and uh surprisingly playable and pretty easy to to put together you know yeah exactly it was just a different you know instead of rendering the game world from an overhead perspective you just render it from a first person perspective using you know like the old doom wolfenstein ray casting techniques Mm, i love ray casting so also not 3d but still kind of like speaks to the point that it's sometimes you know not a huge leap to swap out the visualization of your game world from like one format to other, either overhead to first person or 2d to 3d. Yeah. So I think that's pretty interesting. I, uh, I really like that perspective a lot, actually, um, especially for those kinds of games, because as we've seen, it's actually really, really difficult to get things in a 2d world from this perspective to line up correctly based on like where their height is supposed to be. Yeah, I think we were talking about this in just the most recent podcast, like just the last one. The yeah. problem between like, you know, okay, so I'm sitting on the ground in a 2D world, but like, you know, it's this uh, overhead perspective, so I want to raise off the ground. And that's a really big problem in our games because we have like flying monsters, like bats and floating skull heads and stuff like that. And then we've got like projectiles or like the meat of the game, you know, and those are all obviously um, flying and so we've got these shadows, and it makes the hitbox off, and it just kind of feels awful. We've actually moved away from that a lot for the sequel. Yeah, we really have, just because it's such a difficult problem. 
<clears throat> well, it's basically like, do you want it to look prettier or do you want it to play better? And we're like, play better because it's a game. You know, if if it was a picture book or just a movie, then, you know, look better. But, you know, it's all about the, the game feel, right? Right. And not that those kinds of weird edge cases wouldn't or would go away with 3D because, you know, you still have this, like, if you only have two-dimensional information in your model, yeah. how far off the ground in the 3D world would a projectile have to be in order for it to look right? Yeah. So even in that case, you know, you still run into those issues and <clears throat> it might be worth thinking about developing the game model in in a, in a very in very much a 2D way, but adding like the height information as well so that you have like 3D collisions. Yeah. And, uh, and things technically exist in a 3D space, but the game itself would kind of be like one ground floor with objects having some kind of a height off the ground, basically. Right. And so I mean, a very, very limited 3D. And then obviously like the other end of the scale would be that like it's, there's multiple levels. There's like ramps you can go up, ladders, elevators that go up and down. I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can go in 3D. Right, but it sounds like we would want to do it the approach where there's a simple 2D model to kind of keep one foot in our comfort door. <laughs> That's probably true, yeah. <laughs> our comfort door. Whatever yes. that means. But basically to not overcomplicate things in ourselves because uh, I think you and I both someday won't really want to try out 3D, but uh, we know that we're a, a long ways away, right? Um, I don't know we're that far away. I think it's more just about finding the right game fit. I mean, especially with tools like Unity, I, I don't think it'll be that difficult. Interesting. Um, you know, if we were delving into like writing our own engine from scratch using like WebGL or even something like 3JS, we would think, never do that. No, no, no. <laughs> um, you know, then we would make it hard on ourselves. Yeah. Because we just don't have the experience with 3D math and like right. it, it would be a big learning curve. Whereas, you know, something like Unity takes a lot of the, uh, a lot of the messy guts and hides it away find this nice user interface where you can be like i'm gonna draw this you know sphere and then we put this texture on it and right. move it around the world so what would be different about the like kind of the asset pipeline i guess like the content creation 3d assets animation textures meshes all that stuff i think a lot of it would be somewhat easier than it is now in in, in some senses there'd be a lot of new stuff to learn but like your job would be less about creating all these individual frames for sprites and more about creating nice looking textures for the characters and then animation. So right. I guess there's like, there, there's a couple of new things. One is that we would need someone to 3d model either you or I. So one of us would have to learn how to 3d model. We'd also have to learn how to rig characters so that they had like, you know, joints and stuff that we could use for animating them. Yeah. Then we'd have to create animations for those characters uh, using, you know, whatever software. I'm guessing that these three steps can all be done in, uh, or four steps actually, can all be done in um, some one of these programs that I'm probably not familiar with. But, yeah. you know, basically, like, you create the model, you rig the model, you animate the model, and then you texture the model or skin the model. Right. And I could be missing some steps here, but that's kind of like my tiger hat view of Tiger hat activated. Yeah. <clears throat> that's and, uh, a lot of stuff, you know? Well, and none of those things are things that you and I are familiar with, so... Right. Texturing. Um, I can make a texture. You can make a texture, <laughs> but can you texture a 3D model? No. Exactly. I don't know I how think to that do there's that. A, there's a wide difference between, you know, can you make a repeating texture? And right. Especially, like, if you're talking about, like, hey, Matt, can you make a texture that's going to go on this 2D plane that's a brick wall? Yes. Oh, yeah. Big I'm time. sure you could do that. Matt, can you make a texture that's going to wrap around this character and have his face and his shirt and his arms and the pockets on his shirt and the belt and the tools on his belt and have that all look like it's in the right place on this model help i'm drowning <laughs> what, do <I> do? <laughs> what is all this yeah not so much so it's a it's a much different process i think from the pipeline yeah standpoint and it's something that i think i would be really interested in getting into that too yeah, um, we talked about that. Like, maybe you'd be making uh, a lot of the 3D models, and then I'd be texturing them, and then we'd probably work together on uh, animations and stuff. Because the animations would be a lot like dolls, and that was something that, um, you know, you can totally do that. Like, when yeah. we had the uh, the doll system, it was, like, the worst interface ever, so I don't think you wanted to use it. But, like, in Unity, for example, there's, like, skeletal or dolls or whatever you want to call them uh, baked into it, and, you know, you can do that. You just go in there and move some limbs around, right? 
Right. Same kind of idea with 3D. Yeah. Just more. <laughs> yeah, more more limbs and, and more stuff. I think, though, that the, um, the, the way that the pipeline would change, though, would be a little more efficient, right, in some respects, because you could almost take this body of, like, a generic human townsperson, and you could create the model for it and you could create the rigging for it and the animations for it. And then you could just sit down and make like five or six different textures skins for that thing and like reuse the entire thing all the way through. Mm, that sounds so nice. Whereas right now you kind of do the same thing. Like you have like a little human template maybe like for yeah. AWL one townsfolk, you have like, here's like a, a naked human that I base my designs <laughs> on. But like you are, you have to go into each frame and, and fix it, change yes. it to be the new thing. Yeah, that was a lot of work, man, especially the playable characters. You know, they're these, I don't know how big the sprite sheets were exactly, but they had a lot of frames that they needed. And it was made easier by having these templates, but, you know, drawing all that stuff over it in perspective, multiple frames of animation, like it really adds up. That's the hardest part right now of adding art to a Wizard's Lizard 2 is when it's something that needs to be animated basically, yeah. like something with multiple frames. There's, there's something like the clam monster, which only has like, you know, three frames maybe there's like a closed clam open clam and then there's like a you know cracked open clam like a warning frame right and that's pretty nice but then when you have like okay raga basically he's like the most difficult thing to add to the game because he's complicated and yeah i've talked about this before but basically it's like that's the kind of stuff that i want to avoid you know because i'm most productive when it's like you know here's 10 weapons you need to draw and i'm like bam like like half a day all done you know that's that's beautiful i think uh that actually brings up another big uh, benefit is perspective right like yeah not only are you drawing things multiple times with different animations and stuff but you know you have to take perspective into account like you like you just said right um but in 3d that's something that you almost get for free i mean you have to think about it obviously but it is just done though yeah perspective like, oh, is like you, where's the camera it's just a variable you change it's easy right <laughs> yeah and that's really tough especially in the the kind of three-quarter overhead perspective like the foreshortening involved there is tough you know because sometimes certain parts aren't visible right like maybe the leg is underneath the head and other times more stuff needs to be visible and we've talked before about like the complication of uh, a link between worlds like the nintendo game where <clears throat> they kind of slant everything in this awkward way to kind of present stuff more to the camera, you know? Right. And, like, that's the kind of thing I think that you deal with more in the 2D world. I mean, that is a 3D game. So you can make 3D com more complicated, too, if you want, <laughs> I guess. But, you know, is, like, something like Heroes of the Storm or, like, a, you know, Blizzard games like Diablo and stuff, like, they don't worry about that. They just have a, you know, here's a true rendering of a 3D world, and it looks awesome. Yeah, I think that's uh, it's pretty interesting. It's something that uh, I think we're both sort of interested in, but... yeah. I don't know, especially after having like spent a lot of time in Unity, like learning some new tools now, you know, sounds not scary, but like I want to, you know, like we were talking about, I want to get back to like producing, producing games. Yeah, it won't be this game for sure. <clears throat> Wizard Lizard 2 is definitely 2D and the next game will also definitely be 2D. But like, you know what, after that, maybe like we're definitely up for it. And uh, I think that, you know, we want to get back to Unity someday as well. And as you pointed out before, like, Unity is made for 3D. <laughs> and the 2D right. stuff, although 2D is simpler, it's like Unity is not as good at it because those features haven't existed and been as baked for as long, right? Yeah, I think they're working on some stuff. But uh, I feel like 2D right now in Unity is a lot of hodgepodging together of yeah, mods is. that you uh, or extensions that you either download for free or for pay. Right, <clears throat> which i mean there are some pretty good ones that we've talked about sprite tile and some other systems um on the show before but uh you know the fact of the matter is it's kind of like you have to vet all these things and none of them fit exactly right into what you want to do necessarily mm -hmm. you know they all have their little quirks you know any piece of software you use every single library every single framework that you depend upon is going to have its own you know opinions and styles and there's no api for this or this data comes back in a weird way or this call is really non-performant or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, anyways, I think it's uh, interesting to think about the 3d stuff because it's certainly interesting and it seems like, you know, especially in the art pipeline, it would be a lot more efficient. I um, love the idea of just like, you know, you want to put a knife in Raga's hand, just do it. Yeah. There's nothing like to worry about there. No perspective, multiple. Yeah. Just the asset exists. We already use it, you know, as the item pickup or, Maybe it's the icon in shops. You know, a lot of 3D games like like Diablo, you know, they've got 
um, 2D icons to represent like their user interface, you know, so when you're going through menus and buying stuff in shops and and all that jazz, like <clears throat> they have 2D versions of that stuff. But like, you know, other games like say like Skyrim, Fallout 4, you know, they've got like basically there's when the 3D assets made, like if there's a 3D knife or whatever, that's that's it. That's all they use in the game and you can do anything with it. You can throw it, you can stick it in a table, you can put it in your hand, you can like it exists and you can do whatever you want. Yeah, that's really Pretty attractive. Flexible. It is. It's it's very uh, attractive. Like I feel like there's a. It's more expensive up front by a bit, but then after that, it's infinitely more usable. It's much more scalable. Yeah, that's a question that comes up a lot in uh, in conversation. But um, like you know, with real in real life with real people. <laughs> about three D. Yeah, about three D. People ask about that pretty often. I've found it's like, hey, you guys ever think about moving into three D? I wonder if it's because a lot of people like prefer to game in 3D. Like they just I prefer think so. the look and look at stuff. AAA. What in the world is 2D in AAA? Even 2D games like you know games that play 2D, like uh, I don't know Rayman Origins, I think it was. You know, a two and a half D is what it's called, like a side-scrolling platformer, right? So it could totally be a 2D game, but they're not. They're 3D. Like they look beautiful. They've got parallax out of the box and they've got perspective easily done and you can zoom in and out and move the camera up if you want to and it's all effortless you know or at least it seems effortless and uh yeah i think your your average modern gamer does probably prefer a 3d game yeah there is a lot of like stuff they're talking about like the the camera positioning the zooming like that stuff is a lot easier yeah, like we can time. zoom the entire field of view in uh in a wizard's lizard but it would probably end up looking crappy it would. You zoom in and like, hello, pixels. And like, you don't have that, you know, something that I've seen in like StarCraft, uh, for example, is like, not only can you kind of zoom in, but you can kind of tilt the camera to like mm-hmm. a slightly different angle, which yeah. like you can't do in our game at all, right? Like if someone wanted to be like slightly more eye level with the game world than they are now. Right. Uh, versus like, you know, maybe more of a true bird's eye view, like somewhere yeah. in that range. That's uh, just, you know, it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, and like uh, in 3D games sometimes, let's say like a first-person shooter like like Fallout 4, which I'm playing right now, like when you start to run, your field of view changes to kind of give you more of a, a picture of where you're going. Uh, and, you know, that's relatively easy to do in 3D, and 2D, like, nope. <laughs> you're just not going to do that. I feel like it's possible to kind of simulate some of that stuff, and maybe, you know, better developers than, than we are would have no problem what? with it but what those don't exist <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> it's certainly not as easy it would seem yes for sure but then again you know there's a lot of hard problems in, in 3d as well so i have uh, a secret wish in the back of my mind what's and that? i know that by saying it out loud i probably ruin it but <laughs> i can see a future where like we make awl2 we ship it hopefully it does okay we make another game we ship it hopefully it does even better and then like someday wouldn't it be cool a wizard's lizard 3d uh hey look at it that's what i'd like to do but uh you know we'll see well now you've just jinxed it so i know why did i even say this way to kill the dream matt <laughs> it's really not realistic because like i i don't see us um in the next year or two or even three honestly i don't see us moving to 3d i think that looks more like a five to ten years kind of distant plan we'll see yeah we'll have to like i, I think what it'll come down to is that one of us really the art pipeline is the big sticking point right like I uh, I feel reasonably confident that I could jump into Unity and create 3D game and like you know leverage their 3D collision and, and stuff like that. Yeah, and build a 3D world. Um, I'm a lot less confident in my ability to create, rig, animate 3D models that uh, yeah are up to my standard of you know <laughs> looking good. I feel like stuff like the asset store in Unity is much more feasible in a 3D world, you know? So, like, let's say you need a tank. Just go grab a tank, you know? And your fear might be that, okay, you know, hundreds, maybe thousands of people have bought this tank and they're using it in their games, so I'm afraid that my tank's going to look like another game's tank. But for one, I don't think anybody will notice. For two, with that 3D model, you can do a lot. You know, you could remove the plating from the side or change the plating or, like, elongate the barrel or just change the textures and the colors and stuff, you know? Like, maybe your game is cel-shaded, and so it doesn't look anything like the exact same model in a different game because that game's more realistic, you know? But in the right. 2D world, it's like, here's a sprite of a sword. That's not really going to change much. You know, you can you can try to palette swap it, maybe. You could do some things to it, some effects, or, you know, maybe shrink it down or whatever. But, like, it's, it's really just a collection of pixels. It's going to look like that. You know, it's going to look very, very much the same and be noticeable that it's the same sprite used across games, probably. 
I think though it's not quite as easy though with just to change things out. Like like let's for example say you elongate the barrel of your tank. Like would that have any effect on the texture mapping? Probably. Yeah, I would you imagine. Know, could you just go into a three D model and start deleting a fender or a piece of plating and have no other repercussions with animations and skinning and anything like that? Yeah, that's true. There could be uh, some issues with that. At the very least, you could you know change a color and stuff pretty easily. I would hope. You would hope. That would make a big difference. Yes. Obviously, we don't really know exactly what we're talking about, but it's nice to think about. Well, let's remove this tiger hat and let's talk about our game, which we actually do know a little bit about. <laughs> actually, before we move on, I wanted to say one thing. Uh, have we ever thought about having your brother on the show? He's a 3D environment artist for something? <laughs> EA? No. Treyarch? Yes. Nope. He's a Hammer? EA. He's something. an EA. Yeah. yeah, he's been an environment artist for 15, 16 20, 30, 99 years. He's very old. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, wow. That's <laughs> a, a big long gap time. between you and your brother. Yeah. he. I remember when he shipped his first game. I think it was PlayStation 2. I actually have a copy. I have. I do have some games left. It's called Alter Echo. First uh, shipped game. He oh. called it a, um, not a barcode, a UPC. I forget what they call that, but like in the AAA world, there's a very different um, term that they have. You'll be like, how many games you ship? And they have, you know, how many um ah forgetting it titles yeah but it's like it refers more to the product because you know like there is a big difference for example between i shipped a game on ps2 and i shipped a game on xbox one i see i see so they want to you know if you know pad their numbers with the fact that they've actually shipped games on multiple consoles or whatever yeah and it might be a very different skill set for example he came on to he worked in the original dead space and he went over to activision for a while and then he came back and he worked on dead space for wii which was a very different game although it used a lot of the same code and stuff like that you know but like that made a big difference because you know it was you know i didn't just work on dead space i worked on this other title that was uh, on a different platform and like when you're in the AAA world as well, um, platforms are a lot more important, I guess. Like when you're indie, you're like, oh, I barely I barely made it to PC. I'm on Steam. It took everything I've got, but here I am, you know. But in AAA, it's more like, all right, we got this game. We're going to release it on all platforms, you know. And I bet and, like, you know, the, the consoles have different memory requirements and like you can't get away with as many polygons. And like, you know, for example, on Wii, you might have to have fewer... Uh, triangles in your in your models yeah, and stuff exactly like your code on one platform versus another might end up looking very different and uh the fact that you worked on a specific platform like people know about that they care about that and you that's the that's like your experience points you start to gather that you know like yes i worked on that game for both playstation and xbox or whatnot i think it'd be fun to have him on the show someday and you know pick his brain about the 3d pipeline stuff so he's an interesting guy. He's he's very uh, reclusive, and uh, for example, he doesn't really go out much or talk to people. <laughs> he went to GDC for the first time uh, this year. Wow! And like I said, he's been in the industry for a long time. Like he's basically a veteran. You know, like I've only been in the industry for like f- going on four years, I guess. Five? No. Five. Anyway, he he's got like triple my experience, you know. And I've been to like five or six GDCs, you know. Like yeah, we have this podcast and we go to a lot of events and meetups. Like you and I try like we make an effort to get out there and he's the opposite he's like no i'm just gonna i'm gonna play games i'm gonna go to work i'm gonna do my job i'm gonna go home and play more games and that's my life right and it makes him very happy so i don't know if he would be up for that Um, interesting well i don't know if it's shyness or just uh but yeah it's interesting also i would like to get my wife on here she's been a games user researcher for like three or four years now as well nice and so i'd like to get that perspective um yeah just in general we need to do uh more cast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and now i've got my dog what do you think about games <laughs> uh but yes yeah we need to do more interviews in general they just like they take a lot of time you know a lot of preparation it takes the, like actually last week was pretty good our podcast like we sat down we banged it out in an hour and then it was one of these lucky casts where i was able to edit it lucky and cast. ship it in an hour because <laughs> nice. that doesn't always happen you know like sometimes yeah. we'll have audio issues and like it's pretty common where like it takes a good half a day of my time you know and like when when we have an interview that can easily take it to like a full day why don't I'm just... you complain more matt <laughs> <laughs> complain cast no i'm just explaining i think a lot of people um like the interviews that might be why they showed up is like oh interviews let's do this and we're like the no interview more. desert <laughs> no no more interviews but yeah someday someday more more hackets on the show it's that's the what we need. death valley change log desert <laughs> <laughs> exactly 
Yes. So, um, we have some stuff to discuss. Uh, we probably, like, we could seriously probably spend the rest of the day just talking about design issues in our game, right? Speaking about changelog. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No. No, these are going to be design problems that we're going to solve right here on the show. Wow. This is like live problem solving. It's like being in a coding interview and they're asking you to write code on the board. Kind of. Yeah. They're like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I can't even think. This is going to be a fly on the wall kind of situation. We're like, you know, it, let's say we're going to end the podcast right now. We would have to talk this stuff out. These are serious sure. problems. Like we can't, you know, move forward with the code or the art until we solve these design problems, you know? So, um, so let's do it. I'm pumped. All right. So one prerequisite is um, we had kind of an epiphany recently. Um, we've talked before on the podcast about how we've been agonizing over this death mechanic for, let's see, probably since 2013. <laughs> For years, we've been like, what if the game doesn't end when you die? And we're both like, ooh, that's money. That's good. That's good. Let's do that. Right? For years. And we're like, so what's what's cool about that, though? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's cool to say that. You tell people that. The game doesn't end when you die. And they're like, nice. And then they ask you about it. Like, so what, what, what it's it, like, happens it's, when you die? It's like half a hook. It is. Yeah. It's like a really weak hook. It's like a, it doesn't, doesn't actually grab you. It just kind of like jabs you in the ribs. You're like, what is that? Cause like in the first game, a lot of people here, we know it's about halfsies. Half our listeners have played, the other half haven't. Like the ones who have played know you die and now you're a ghost and there's more monsters to fight. There's some places to go to that you couldn't get to before. Right. That's kind of cool. Is there anything else in the first game? Or is that um, it? You can I be think, resurrected, which is cool. Yeah, but that's more of like a logical like flow. Surely you can come back. Like that's one thing people always ask because they're like, you know, okay, so, so you can, you know, the game keeps going when you die. What happens? And then they're like, can you come back? And we're like, yeah, you do it like this. So yeah. it's obvious, right? It's, like a, it's almost like a must. You must be able to come back. Maybe. Yeah, I, mean, I guess we could design a game where you, where you didn't come back, but we chose yeah. not to. It so kind of feels this, like I don't like the permanence of that. You know, it's like I don't like the idea that the player could do something in the game, especially early on, and then have no recourse to fix it later on. Yeah, I kind of agree. It sounds like a recipe for start, restart. It does. <laughs> I mean, it's weird because, like, I almost feel like there's, um, you know, your game should be over. So I almost feel like anything is fair game at this point. You know, like, instead of it ending... Uh, anything in the world is okay you know like you've got a you've permanently got no legs <laughs> something like that you know because like, hey you're not dead that's something that's, <laughs> is that like your positive uplifting comment for people who are disabled <laughs> you're a jerk wow i didn't mean it like that no, i'm just messing with you <laughs> look at you mr downer over here <laughs> yes downcast Anyway, so uh, we've been kind of experimenting with different ideas for being dead because we really like it. And, you know, and, and one part of us decided that uh, we, we like, like being, being dead. dead. Yeah. Yes. Um, one part of us thought that we might just cut it all together. We did. Yeah. We actually said that on the forum stupidly a while ago. I think you said that stupidly on the forum. Can I say we just to spread the blame, please? No. Can you let me have that? Actually, I, I really shouldn't <laughs> say anything because it's possible that I said it and then someone will link a forum post where I Ooh. said it, and then I'll be, you know, eating crow. I would like that. <laughs> I'm sure that you would. Yeah, I'd be, I'm in favor of that. Yeah. Anyways, I don't know how this idea, I think this was your idea, actually, the epiphany. Mm, okay, I, I had a different idea at first. I, I noticed I noticed something, and I, I sparked the conversation, but it's not even... So, so here's what I noticed, is a lot of games, like roguelikes especially, um, they, they think you care. <laughs> they think you care about what killed you. Right? Which is kind of interesting. But, like, I remember, like, I noticed this on Splunky. It says, like, what killed you, you know? I don't care, personally. But a lot of roguelikes point that out. I think Isaac does. Uh, Nuclear Throne does. Um, does Risky Rain do that? Like, a lot of roguelikes will be like, hey, you were killed by a mutant cyclops, okay? And you're like, cool, man. Thanks for rubbing it in, jerk. <laughs> right? It's like, I don't think it really matters. And I was like, <clears throat> we have a rare opportunity here we have a game where that can matter and i was thinking like let's say you get killed by a pig head in the kitchen and uh you're still playing the game you're still alive kind of right 
So maybe there's something where there's like a hate table, you know, like now you deal double damage to pig heads or something along those lines. Like make it matter in the game what killed you. Yes, because games are about meaning, right? Like, if it doesn't matter that you do something, then players don't want to do it. They want things to matter, you know? And that's been one thing that I've always thought, like, I don't, it doesn't matter to me that I know what killed me at the end. Like, I don't really care. But here's, we have a game where we can do something with it. But there's a lot of problems with that. For one, like, how do you visualize that? You know, do you have pig heads are now red? Do you see red when you're near them? Do they maybe trigger an enrage or, like... We need to display that information somewhere and make that obvious, and that was problematic. And then, like, we went from there, which I think is kind of a leap to... And this was an idea, like, I'm not going to take credit for it, because I'm pretty sure, uh, like, we came up with this mutually, or maybe one of the other of us did. But this was, like, an AWL1 idea we had on the plate at one point, but it was just, like, too overwhelming, I think. But here's the concept, is we went from that to, like, maybe as a hate table, and maybe you, you know, you have a bonus against what killed you, too. Maybe you can possess things when you're dead. Ooh. Which is so cool. So like here, uh, we went from, in, in AWL 2, you die and now you're a floating little Raga ghost. Kind of like in the first game, only you're more ghosty. You've got a little ghost tail like Casper the ghost. You're floating around. And uh, so far, it was like the same game. You're just throwing projectiles. And uh, what we did at first was like, you now have this flesh resource where you've, like, it's kind of sick. You've actually like, you've chopped up your body. Right. And you now got these lizard scales that you can like, you can choose to trade for other things. I mean, you can cash them in and resurrect. That was kind of cool. You know, trading your flesh, you know, like a pound of flesh for, for something of value. Um, but then we went from that to now when you're a ghost, you're kind of like your timer is going down. You can't be a ghost for very long. Like your spiritual energy is depleting. Right. And you've got to go find a vessel to hold your soul or something. And so let's say you get killed by a pig head. Right. And you go and you possess the body of that pig head. And now you are a pig head floating around and shooting apples. Yes. It's very fun, actually. It's awesome. It's so good. We had this idea for AWL1. I remember it. But I, I think it was like we've talked about this a lot. You know, like at first it was Crypt Run, then it was AWL. And like there was so many ideas along that road. And we'd have these ideas that just. You know, like, they, they didn't work because it was like, okay, we have, you know, two or three entire dungeons full of content, and now we have this idea for possession. Like, oh, there's no way we're going to go back and bootstrap all that content, bulldoze all this code, like, holy crap. But this game is in a stage where it's actually ripe for that kind of stuff. You know, it's ready. It's like it hasn't had collision with the real world. There's no one who's going to complain and be like, you know, things are different, or you changed this game that I play on me, that kind of stuff. You know, it's like, it's a good fertile ground for us to try this kind of thing and we did we, we implemented it over like a week and uh it feels great i think it does it feels really fun i think that it hits a lot of high notes for me especially when thinking about what we want out of the death mechanic right yeah we wanted something that would one feel different uh, you know, in that sense, it does. Like, you get to Very play different. as different characters that have different abilities, and, you know, you can choose which ones to possess. Right. You know, the downside there is it's a lot more complicated to explain to the player. Like, right. But I think that uh, there's a lot more strategy and depth that comes out of it. Yeah. Two, it harmonizes really well with the existing content of the game. It doesn't feel like we're in the spot that we had been in before, which was we have, like, okay, now you're dead. What's different about the dead world? And it's like that ended up, you know, are there dead monsters, which is new content? Are there like puzzles, which is new content? Are there, you know, blocks that you can move through when you're dead or alive, like new content? Like all these things that would just have to be additions to the game. Whereas this allows us to have a very different feeling experience uh, while kind of like just basically using the existing pieces in a different way. Right. And I think that's, uh, that's really important. Yeah, and it's it's not a wholly original idea, right? Like, I think no. one of the first things we thought of was um, one of my favorite NES games, uh, Little Nemo. Love it, man. Such good music. It's a really good side-scrolling platformer uh, from the 80s, and uh, I really love that game. And the core mechanic is basically like, okay, side-scrolling platformer, you're this little dude, you throw candy, which you have an infinite supply of. It's a very weak projectile. It just goes like, it just kind of you know falls off the screen. And all it does is stun monsters, but if you... And it's not all monsters, like, we're kind of ambitiously going for it. It's just certain monsters, if you feed them candy, they will go into the submissive sleeping state. And then you can... When you collide with them, something changes. You either... um, It's kind of sick, actually. Some of them you ride on the top of them, like, you shrink and you're now on top of them, which is kind of cool. But some of them, like the frog, one of the first monsters you encounter... 
you basically scoop out its guts and then crawl inside of its skin. And now you are this like, almost like Mario in his like Tanuki frog suit. suit. Yeah, frog suit Mario. Yeah, you're in like this frog suit. And um, I mean, it's not that grotesque in the game or whatever. But like, we were concerned right off the bat that maybe it's too much to throw at the player that like, you know, first you have to get used to playing as Raga and all these crazy controls. And now you got to play as this pig head, which plays differently. And now you're all confused. And maybe that would be a bad experience. But I remember back to my time playing Little Nemo and it was, it didn't feel that way at all. You know, it was like, because it kept it very simple, you know, it was like your average um, monster that you would take control of had one, maybe two inputs, you know, it'd be like jump, maybe like the bees, you could kind of fly and shoot a projectile. And that was it, you know, and, it, and like, there was a little period of experimentation, but it wasn't bad. It was fun, you know, because the game gave you um, the capacity to kind of test out these mechanics. And, you know, you didn't necessarily have to jump into the deep end. You could get a new monster and kind of like walk around and test it out before you went and tried to interact with hazards, you know? Right. Hopefully our game will have that same thing. I can see a scenario, though, where, you know, you you come into a big room full of monsters and then you get killed, but there's still a whole bunch of monsters on the field right. and your spirit's taking down and you're looking for a body to possess and you don't know what they do and blah, blah, blah. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, in the roguelike vein, it's just, you know, it's kind of something just to be meant. It's meant to be experienced over the course of, you know, several different runs. Like this time you choose a pig head and see what it does. And hopefully with the fact that, like, you can sit in a room and experiment with a monster, perhaps. Yeah. Before moving on to the next area and stuff. I remember playing through Spelunky, like the first time you get to a new area, it's it's going to kick your ass hard. You know, like you first get to the jungle, you you die because you don't know what anything does. You're like, hey, what's this um, tiki okay. trap? Blech. Oh, it murders you instantly. Okay. Now I know to keep my distance. And uh, I think that we're going to get something like that with, with this game, you know, but it's it's like when you... Ex- when you come across new content, you almost, you know that you need to isolate it. Like, okay, this is unexpected. I don't know what this monster does, so I have to kind of interact with it and figure it out. And then once once that happens, there's an extra layer to it in our game where, like, now I need to possess it and see, like, you know, which of its abilities that I've seen do I have control of? What can I do? What's different? But hopefully kind of just the fact that you've seen the monster in action in the game against you will give you some idea of what it's doing. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I think one of the more interesting enemies to play right now is the clam because uh, it yeah. can shoot a little pearl projectile and then it can also shut its clam shell and be immune for just a second. It can clam up. It can clam up. Yeah. So uh, given that, the new direction we're going, and here is a, um, I don't know what you want to call it, disclaimer, I guess. This is a game studio that once, as we talked about, has turned a side-scrolling platformer into a turn-based uh, role-playing game. You love to beat that dead horse, don't you? Well, I just want to say that <laughs> this this mechanic is not going to make it into production for sure. You know, like we like it, we're very hot on it right now, but we change a lot. And like I got to say, one thing that I think's been going pretty well about this project is that we've been prototyping within this project you know like we, we do a pretty good job of prototyping in general you know we've had size clean platformer prototypes turn-based tactics prototypes we we've even um prototyped like um like a three-quarter overhead game that wasn't a wizard lizard like we've done a good amount of prototypes and, and the reason you want to do those is to get to a better game that you actually commit to you know right and it feels hard with a game like awl2 because it feels like you should just come into it and you know what the mechanics are you know what everything is and you're just gonna hit the ground running and just make it Right, but we haven't really treated it that way. We know certain bits. We know certain pieces are there for sure. You can definitely walk around. You definitely can attack somehow. There's definitely some kind of inventory. You can pick up items, right? There's some kind of resources, that kind of a stuff. But we've been prototyping uh, a lot recently with like mana, types of mana, mana costs, resources, types of projectiles, melee attacking, tongue mechanic, all these various things, you know? We even had some other death mechanic prototypes where like you would you could pick up your body and you had to like carry it through the door and oh, you yeah. could throw it at monsters. And then we had one prototype where only the body could take damage. And so, right. you know, you had to carry it around and keep it safe from danger. Right. Yeah. So I just want to say that, that like, you know, we're talking about this now and we're very excited about it, but it could be that we take it to its logical conclusion and we find it riddled with problems and we try something else that might be similar or very different. Speaking of riddled with problems. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Let's talk about the problems that need to be unriddled. 
Okay, so here's a big one, is player monsters and mana. So the game works right now in this way. We didn't want to do infinite projectiles like in the first game because, as we've talked about before, it's just problematic. You're just really powerful, and it's a, it's a hard game to design. And so we have added mana, which, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we've uh, fluctuated a lot on like what type of mana, how many different mana resources, and that kind of stuff. We're currently really liking this kind of uh, Magic the Gathering-inspired kind of like red-green-blue scenario where there's like you know fire and there's you know blue ice spells and there's green like nature spikes coming out of the ground and stuff like that and so the monsters right now like okay so the pig hedge spits apples and the clam spits pearls and they are just kind of infinite because it's like you know it's early times for this mechanic right and uh i think that as we were playing we were realizing that for one it's inconsistent you go from you know a resource-based projectile to infinite projectiles and so that's inconsistent and we've been very cognizant of inconsistencies we want everything to be as consistent as possible just to keep the like the player on board not confused right right uh, and then another thing is it's just very powerful you might get someone who's like you know what i'm sick of being out of mana sometimes so i'm just gonna kill myself and plays the pig head because the pig head has infinite projectiles and i just like that even though the pig head is severely you know otherwise severely limited which you know we talked about like maybe that's not a terrible thing you know maybe it's okay that infinite projectiles are paired with such limitations as you know i can't do anything else besides shoot this projectile or yeah i have a lot fewer hit points than the player perhaps yeah exactly so that might be all right but we just had to talk it out we can't you can't ignore it you know it needs to be discussed we at least like we talked about this before you know like with creativity and art and games a lot of it is about intent you know like things that feel accidental don't necessarily feel good and so we want to be able to back up our decisions and I kind of feel that way about the current infinite projectiles. Like, it doesn't really feel like it fits, um, especially because there are, or there is this mana resource that you can collect while you're, say, a pig head, but you right. can't spend it. And so it just kind of accumulates. And, like, it kind of feels okay in the sense that, like, you kind of feel like you're stockpiling for when you get back to your body. Yeah. But I don't like the fact that it removes that mechanic from the game. Yeah. And I thought that it could actually harmonize really well with the overall idea in general, if certain monsters took certain kinds of mana to use. So like, for example, uh, a clam might be blue. Right. And so that would help influence your decision. It's kind of just like it helps influence the decision of wands. Like, do I want a blue ice wand? Cause I have lots of blue mana or am I out of blue mana and I have lots of green mana. And so I want like the bees that same scenario could come into play with monsters. You know, you've got, you're like, oh man, I'm in a pig head, but the pig head takes red mana. And so like, I've only got like six shots left. So I really need to find a clam and get into that because I have tons of blue mana. Yeah. So I think it adds some some depth to the gameplay. It's pretty good if you look at it in the context of, you know, one of the core mechanics in the game is kind of like, you know, your weapon taking mana. And so you have to choose your weapon. Like that ends up mattering a lot, which weapon you choose, right? And so right. you also have to choose which vessel to possess, and so that's almost like choosing your weapon, you know, like I want to go pig head because it's red or I want to go clam because it's blue or whatever else. And so that kind of being on the same page is nice. Um, the, the main problem that we have here is that like, yeah, we could just say, okay, so, you know, pig shoots red apples and red apples take red mana. That's pretty good, pretty understandable. And we've got this system now where we can like message what's happening with your resources and your mana relatively well. Right. But the problem is that, so with Raga, Raga has a tail whip. And so what that does is it's a melee ability, which means that even when you're out of mana and you can't attack otherwise, you can still use melee, which is not overpowered because you have to put yourself in more danger, right? You have to uh, have this close proximity with the hazards, whereas normally you can kind of keep a safe distance. With melee, you know, even though it's infinite, the risk is you have to get into the action, right? Right. But with a lot of these monsters, um, the melee might not be as easy, and it might be more work for us because, you know, like, for example, the pig head. Pig head doesn't have a melee attack. It's just a hazard. You know, it's like a standard video game thing. Don't touch this monster because it will hurt you, right? Like, it's really common in games. Is like, monsters hurt you. You don't hurt them when you touch. Just don't touch them. It's like a common game thing, you know? And so not having a melee attack to fall back on uh, doesn't quite create this perfect ratio between, you know, the player and the monster. But it might be okay because as we were talking about earlier, you know, you are dead, right? Like you, this is a kind of punishment in one way or another, you know, like you messed up. Right. And, uh, and so maybe it's okay. But it's also a lot easier to swap bodies. Like it's easier to possess something else yeah. than it is to get a new wand, you know. To yeah, get a new true. wand, you have to come across a shop <clears throat> and you have to have enough money. 
and yes. they have to be selling the wand that you want. Yeah. Uh, or you have to find it in a chest, and it has to happen to be the color of the wand that you want. Right. Whereas with the monsters, the monsters are all over the place, and it seems like it's pretty easy to just say, you know, oh, man, there's a clam right there, and I'm in a pig head. I'm going to let the clam kill me out of my pig head, and then my spirit <laughs> will spawn back, and then I'll just take over the clam, and I'll be happy as a clam. <laughs> you had that in your back pocket, didn't you? No. Maybe. Yes, you did. <laughs> There's also this interesting thing. We've noticed that, like, let's say you're a pig head and you're about to die and you come across another pig head. You can be like, oh, sweet, fresh pig head. Right. <laughs> you let the pig head kill your weakened pig head and you jump into the healthy pig head. You mean fresh, severed, fresh, pig severed, head. rotten, <laughs> full health carcass. Animated pig head. Yes. It's pretty sick. It is a little sick. I kind of I love it. But yeah, yeah, you can come across a full health pig head and you could, you know, be like, I'm on my last hit point here. I'm just going to drop this guy and grab a new body. Yes. Which that in itself actually brings up some questions we haven't really tackled very much yet, which is, oh, no. is it overpowered to be able to consistently jump through bodies? I don't think so as long as, uh, so we talked about this kind of like a spirit meter or something, but it's basically this little progress bar. So like right when you die, let's say it's Not like, anymore. well, you took that out? Yes. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> what was your logic there uh i didn't really take it out all i oh. did was instead of making it this arbitrary timer progress bar mm-hmm. i just turned it into a resource ah and so now you start with like 20 of them and they decrement one per second okay but same it's, mechanic basically. it's same mechanic yeah, it's different just, visuals yeah but the interesting thing now is that you could you can find this uh resource in barrels you could buy it from the shop oh like you could uh, you could trade that resource for other resources, and it has a lot of the same. We kind of briefly touched on the flesh mechanic. Like uh, on an earlier prototype, when you died, you would uh, collect your flesh. You could spend your flesh on stuff. But this resource actually harmonizes a lot better with other things in the game. Um, like you would come across some stuff for flesh in the old prototype, and you would almost never want it if you weren't dead, uh, or you wouldn't be able to afford it. But now, you know, if you come across a shop and you're alive but they have some of the spirit resource for sale, you might buy some because you might anticipate, like, I'm pretty close to death here. Yeah. And I don't have any health, but I can buy some more spirit resource, which will give me more time and more jumps between enemies. You are a squirrel storing nuts for the winter ahead. <laughs> the winter is coming. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I know I'm going to die in the next level because I always die in the next level. So I want to have a lot of spirit things to help me along the way. Oh, man, I have to tell you a quick story about this prototype. Ooh. Yes, it was very Let's fun. I had a really fun play session. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Um, so you can possess almost anything in the game right now, including chickens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, and so I was in a room, and I was killing stuff, and I was killing stuff. And uh, I uh, I think the only thing left was a like headless chicken. And the headless chicken hit me, and it killed me. Oh, no. then, oh, then there was a live chicken in the room. So I grabbed the live chicken because it was the only thing I could grab that was in the room and I didn't yep. want my timer to deplete. And so there were no other monsters. And I went to the very next room and the very next room was the chickens and turrets room. <laughs> and so like I started running through the room and the things are going off and they're killing the chickens and the headless chickens are running into me. And since the chickens only have one hit point, every time I got hit by anything, either a f- oven turret or a chicken, I would die yeah. and I have to pick up a new fresh chicken. It took me about three or four chickens to make it across the room. <laughs> you can you can count your progress by chickens. That's right, yeah. Oh, this is a five chicken run. <laughs> I love the chickens because they, uh, like we talked about this, chickens don't have an attack. The chickens by default are uh, benign. You know, they just kind of sit there like, oh, I'm a chicken. You can walk right through them. They don't even collide with you. You know, they don't hurt anything. What they are is a like a hazard to be right like if they get hit by anything in the game if they get hit by a stray projectile from you or monsters or they just walk into a spike trap because they're stupid chickens they then tune into a hazard that moves quickly and will hurt you right Right. they're all very fragile like they each take one hit to kill pretty much but uh so we were talking about like you know possessing them might not be that interesting because you're basically like you don't have a weapon you have no means of attack and so that's not a good that's not good player agency, right? That's not a good vessel to possess, but it still is because it does, all you need is for it to matter. You know, you, you need for it to fit into your game. And what it does is it's like, it could be seen as a, like a temporary retreat. 
you know, you hop into a chicken body just to kind of like close that wound, you know, because you're not bleeding your spirit energy or whatever anymore. Right. And so you hop into a chicken body and you're like, all right, all right, chicken, let's think this out. <laughs> like, I got to get into a different body. Which one should it be? I'm going to walk into this corner and make my plans. It's yeah, it works really well. It's kind of like you know Harry Potter or something when in your Voldemort and you got destroyed and now you're like <laughs> having to inhabit menial creatures in order Ooh. to like plot your revenge and grow stronger. What are those called? The Horcrux? No, well the Horcruxes are something different. But but I was thinking maybe you could like you could hide an item somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. Backtracking might not be fun. <laughs> no game design, everybody. <laughs> That's actually an interesting thing that I was thinking about was like. It doesn't make sense necessarily that your body dies and your corpse stays there, but your spirit can carry around all of your gold and stuff. Mm. Um, not that I think we should change it because I think the alternatives are way less fun. But right, it is a video thinking. game after all. It is, yeah, it is. Video it is a, a version of some kind of reality. Yeah, you see that with like we've talked before about how like Shining Force, the original game, you've got this little tiny little inventory. It's like crappy. You got like you can hold like four items, including your weapon you have equipped. But then in the sequel, you have this shared pool of inventory. You know, so and that's better. the thing. You didn't sit there and go, "Man, this is so fake." My my dwarf's on the other side of the map. How am I? How are we sharing items? That's dumb. You know, you don't think like that. You're like, "This is awesome. I can share my items. I love this game." You know? it, it is because certain parts of reality are tedious and boring. Like the fact that, exactly. like, oh, I have to trudge, <laughs> trudge all the way across this battlefield. It depends on the game, right? Like, if you're going yeah. for like absolute realism, then sure. Yeah, it does make tactical sense to like you know have somebody that can resupply your frontline troops with you know healing herbs or whatever. Yeah, it's like okay, you want to play the game, huh? Raga, you haven't done your taxes yet. You can't go <laughs> dungeon diving. You have to you go mow the lawn. You've got chores, right? It's like no, we don't. We don't want that much reality. No. <laughs> too too much. Yeah. Um anyways, yeah. So the the chickens actually fulfill a pretty interesting pretty, pretty interesting role overall. They just this make the mechanic. game more delightful. And, and who doesn't want to take over a chicken? Way. Right? And I you feel play so chicken. like weak, you know, you get killed in one hit, but it's like it's almost fun because you know you can just pick up another chicken body. Yeah. It's funny like because it. the death like being dead actually almost removes the fear of being dead. Like once you've made that transition, you can just hmm. accept death and Interesting. Uh, you know, reuse and abuse all these animal carcasses. It does put the game in a different light because normally you're like, I want to stay alive. I want to keep all my, my goodness. I'm Raga. I'm rocking this. And then when you're dead, you you look at the monsters differently instead of like, I need to kill you all. You look at them as like, hmm, how can I use you to my benefit? <laughs> you know? Right. And especially when you're playing as something like the chicken, you know, you know, you can do things like trigger traps in order to kill other monsters or get monsters to attack each other, maybe, or, yeah. you know, just get them to attack you and then that chicken dies and then you can take over their body or something. Right. So there's a lot of interesting mechanics that emerge that aren't just, hey, shoot this monster. So let's solve this design problem. What okay. is our decision? Uh, I'm leaning towards monster abilities can sometimes take mana. That doesn't always have to be true. You know, there, we could do right. things like the pearl for the clam takes blue mana, but his immunity is free on a cooldown. Infinite, yeah. And like, uh, there's also the knives, the floating knives in the game right now. And basically their attack mechanic is, uh, you know, people who've played the first game will remember the werewolves have this rush. They're like, Choo! they just shoot across the screen almost like an arrow. And uh, that's actually a, a ability we gave the player at one point. It was called uh, Soul Rush, I think. But it's basically, it uses a soul orb and you do the same thing as the werewolf. You just launch across the screen. That's kind of what knives do. And uh, that doesn't seem like that would take mana. So, like, that that would be a decision you make, you know? Like, I'm going to play as the knife because I'm out of mana. And that makes the most sense because I can't even attack with a pig head. Like, a pig head's basically a chicken at this point since I don't have any mana. But what's interesting about the knife is you're attacking with your body, so you just inherently have to put yourself in more danger, right? I actually uh, prototyped that knife charge last night. Ooh. It feels really fun. Oh, I got to play that? Yes, it's uh, it, it's really interesting. Um, and yeah, you do have to put yourself in danger because you're kind of immune to damage as you're doing the charge. Yeah. But once you hit something, you stop. You know, right. if there's a monster next to you or a projectile next to you, it'll just hit you, you know? Yeah, you got to time that stuff really carefully. But it's also a lot of fun just to shoot across the screen and like hit multiple things at the same time. You know, it's like bam, 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 bam. I got to try that. I've been looking forward to uh, playing as a knife. It was actually it was last night I hooked up. We we had the, it was surprisingly easy just to kind of hook everything up and be like, 
yeah, you can play as a big head right now, but it was like really buggy. You know, like it worked, the game wasn't breaking, but like the graphics disappearing, the frames are all wrong and it's like, whoa, <laughs> really funky. So I kind of hooked all that stuff up, got the clam in the right place and like already, you know, just with by fixing the visuals, it started to feel really, really good. Uh, right, and then I had yeah. my eye on that knife and I was like, I want to play as that knife. So one thing I did is I went through and I just created a bare bones versions of possession for all of the enemies. So like, now oh, you nice. can you can possess the slimes and the big slime and the knives, and uh, the slimes are just like chickens right now, and so are the, so is the big slime. But cool. it feels so much better just that you're able to, yeah. Even though they don't have the best abilities yet, right? That's awesome. I can't wait to play that. So let's see, we're about out of time here, but I think we have solved this design issue just in time. So I'm going to make a comment on Asana. I'm going to say, um, yes, do it. <laughs> <laughs> I think the the decision is basically that yes, we can make it so that some enemy abilities cost mana because that harmonizes better with the game and it influences player choice. You know, it gives them a reason to do certain things. Like I think that's the the primary criteria that we're looking for is we want the choice to matter, right? You know, like it matters that you pick a pig head, and the choice could be a multitude of things, right? It could be like I prefer the pig head because I just like the way it looks. Uh, it could be, you know, I like the way it looks and I have the right kind of mana. Right. Or, you know, the agony of, I really like this thing, but I don't have any mana for it, so I just can't choose it. Right. And so I got to go with, like, my second choice, which, you know, might sound like a bad thing. You know, no one ever wants to go with their second choice necessarily, but it promotes different experiences, which I think is also good. This is the kind of ticket that just breaks my heart because it feels so good. Like, discuss player monsters and mana. That's done. Yeah, we're doing it closed it we got a ticket done right no i have to make a brand new ticket right away which is probably yeah add (laughs) the mana cost to the pig head projectiles add it to the clam projectiles and then you know it'll need some tweaking and uh you know there's going to be some problems like how do we know which color mana it's going to be using and how do we bubble that up and right what do we like how do we message it to the player when they're out of mana um so yeah i close one ticket and i open 10 more welcome to game development (laughs) Side. yep that's, that's cool though i'm glad that we uh we solved at least one ish design one problem nagging issue. <laughs> yeah this will be good the dozens that we have sitting in the queue there are dozens of us dozens <laughs> dozens dozens cool i think uh, we actually had a, a couple of more tickets we wanted to discuss today but um you know we just we talked too much about other stuff we do. We talk way too much. I didn't Man. even get to talk about uh, design patterns or art tips or anything. Oh, we didn't. Wow. Yeah. We were at our hour. You know what? You're just going to have to listen to the next episode. Oh, man. Next How week. How exciting is that going to be? Yeah. Cast. Next episode. We hope you're pumped. And you know what? Hey, tell a friend. Tell a friend like, hey, this next episode is going to be awesome because they're going to solve more design problems and they're going to talk about design patterns and art tips and stuff. I think I'm going to talk about dirty flags. Oh, yeah. Man, that was uh, really important early on in our career, back when HTML5 was like, I can barely do this, you guys. I can handle it. Next week and more on Lost Cast. Ooh, I like it. Yes. Anyways, that's all we got this week. Thanks for listening and uh, join us on the forum, forum.lostdecadegames.com. We're going to play you out with Mummy Lover from Vlad 2. Ship it.
All right. All right. All right. All right. All right.